0: Hello, friends. My name is Andrew Sweeney from Parallax, and this is a quick plug for what we are up to and how you can participate in or support our activities. Firstly, me and Tom Ammark are developing Parallax Academy. We have several fantastic new courses available. We also have a membership program that allows you to participate in live events and community discussions. Furthermore, if you become a member, you can participate in one of our study groups. And if you're interested in one-to-one dialogue, I offer what I call meaning coaching. Finally, you can simply subscribe and like our YouTube channel or sign up for our newsletter to keep abreast of all of our activities. In any case, thank you in advance for any support or good vibes or participation in this project. And please join us and help us to rebuild spirituality, rethink philosophy, and reimagine culture. So welcome, uh, Angela, to to Parallax, to Parallax Academy. Um, it's it's great to have you. I've been a fan of your channel for for some time. So um, thanks so
1: much, Andrew, for for inviting me and having me on.
0: Yeah. Um, so you're you're an academic, which is interesting. Uh, uh, it's an interesting that you're an academic and that. Your 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 channel is so artistic, so expressive, and so so beautiful at the same time. So it seems to be there's this juxtaposition between you being an academic and then um, it's almost it, it's almost uh, um, one would think that you were one would wonder what you are that you're a practitioner of some kind. But I, but I guess that's that's your private private life. I wonder about the intersection between academia and 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 let's say the actual practices of of paganism and witchcraft, and as it, this is some of the things that you talk about on your channel. It's very diverse, but kind of all aspects of paganism, esotericism, shamanism, etc. Maybe you want to just tell us a little bit about your journey and to, to get there, to to have created this channel, and and why why this is why it's an important topic now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so it's funny that you say that, because uh, I don't think that there is a juxtaposition between being artistic and expressive and academia, but I know what you mean, because mm. there are certain uh, stereotypes that uh, are still quite present in reality, especially in certain countries. I, uh, I'm Italian, but I live in the UK, and I think that the UK tends to be quite free in terms of expression. Whereas for instance, Italy tends to be a bit more conservative. And so the the way academics look and behave, I'd say is more similar to the stereotype that people have. Uh, And I know that I don't particularly look like an academic, even Mm -hmm. though I am, but uh, that's fine. I think it makes things more fun. And one thing that I always say on my project, Tangela Symposium, the YouTube channel and my other social media, is to uh you know that what I try to deliver is academic fun because I deliver content information that is based on peer-reviewed academic scholarship but at the same time I try to make it fun and entertaining and um and the way I present myself is the way you would see me in the street by the way (laughs) so Mm -hmm. I am just like this um but in terms of my journey so I have a a bachelor's and a master's in philosophy with, even though you could say that the angle was still quite religious in my, because in Italy up until recently, well, I would still say that you don't have religious studies department in Italy. There may be some exceptions like uh, in Rome. And, Mm -hmm. but generally speaking, you don't get a degree in religious studies in Italy, unless you go to a theological school because you want to become a priest. Mm. Uh, So people that are generally interested in religion, they um, they tend to do philosophy. And then when you do philosophy as a degree in Italy, you have certain exams that you can select. And some are more religious, like you have history of religions and you have uh, philosophies and religions of this place or this culture. So what I did was to um, choose philosophy as my major. And then I added all the possible things in religion or what they would call religious studies in other countries that I could do. And I also um, at first specialized in uh, Indian and Tibetan traditions and philosophies. So I've also studied Sanskrit and Tibetan, uh, because at first I wanted to become a Buddhologist and uh, focused on Buddhist studies. I was very, I still am quite fascinated with that, Uh, but uh, even though my core uh, research interest has always been magic, so even when I was studying Indian and Tibetan traditions, my main focus was still magic. So I would study, for instance, t- tantric Buddhism or yoga mm. or tantra and um, especially the, the magical elements. So that has always been my interest. The thing is that in Italy, it wasn't really possible to study magic in the contemporary world. Uh, so I was not even aware that there was a thing, that it was even possible to study uh, magic academically uh, unless it was historical like I could see people studying for instance um, magic in the history of renaissance and uh, the middle ages uh, you know when it comes to the witch trials and things of this sort or uh, studying certain philosophers that have magic as part of their philosophy like Giordano Bruno Giordano Bruno is very well studied in Italy Um, Tommaso Campanella or uh, Marsilio Ficino these are very studied and you you have plenty of research in Italian academia but when it comes to studying magic practices especially in the contemporary world it's like it's it's not something that is done in Italy and so since I was Italian born and bred there I honestly had no idea that that was even a possibility so the closest thing that I could find was Eastern philosophies, you know, Mm. um, that was closer to my interest in academia. And then I came across a YouTube video by uh, Dr. Jenny Butler, who's now a friend of mine and a scholar that I really admire. And uh, she was um, talking about her PhD, which was about paganism and witchcraft in Ireland. And that was like, you know, an epiphany moment for me. It's like, what? You can study that for a PhD? what why and nobody has ever told, told me that so I realized that I had to move to a different country <laughs> and so um, yeah I applied for two PhD programs in uh, the UK and I got into both and then I decided to come to Leeds because I was also offered a teaching contract alongside my PhD so I've been teaching at university and doing my PhD uh, you know uh, alongside that and so yeah then I, I moved my research interest to the contemporary world and doing more anthropology of religion because that's what I do now in terms of my research I would classify it as religious studies you know using anthropological mm-hmm. methodology primarily mm-hmm. and um, at the moment I study contemporary paganism contemporary magic practicing traditions uh, my PhD was on indigenous and transcultural shamanism in Italy. So Italy was my fieldwork, which, you know, it made it easier for me being Italian <laughs> knowing <laughs> the language yeah. and everything. Um, and I also studied Latin and ancient Greek growing up uh, because I followed um, an educational path in Italy that is called classical, mm-hmm. the classical lyceum. It's called in Italian. Uh, so... Um, Yeah, I have studied a few languages during my academic Mm. um, journey and then during the final year of my PhD, I asked my university to have a sabbatical from teaching because I was teaching um, two courses as a lead teacher, so I was the only one teaching and doing everything for those two courses and then i asked to have a sabbatical to my supervisors uh, and they so that i could write up my a phd dissertation and they granted it and so i thought so what do i do with this you know teaching energy let's start a youtube channel
0: <laughs> yeah and so
1: <laughs> and at first i thought you know i have all this material that i have researched for my PhD that didn't end up in my PhD because sometimes you have to do lots of background research on things that are somewhat related but they don't end up in your actual dissertation and I thought I really think that people would be interested in that and then I told my friend, you know I want to start an academic channel talking about witchcraft and it's was like who would ever want to watch that so oh a lot of people <laughs> Uh well yeah now in hindsight but at the time uh there were friends discouraging me from doing that saying that it didn't sound like something that would have any appeal but it's fine i forgive my friends i understand that they were Mm -hmm. meaning well Mm -hmm. but yeah so the final year of my phd i decided to start the youtube channel using the research that I had been doing for my PhD and turning them into scripts. So if you look at my first videos, they are on what is shamanism. That was basically a chapter of my dissertation. Then what is paganism? And uh, I was just using all the research that I had done. And then the more the channel grew, the more I had to cover things that were not part of my personal academic research. And so I started doing research specifically for the YouTube videos, similar to how I would do if I were to, if I had to write a paper on something. So if I had mm-hmm. to write a paper on, I don't know, theosophy, and that I, I do research in a very similar way. And then mm-hmm. I collate the information from the research. In some cases, I base the content only on one source. In other cases, I collate multiple sources. Uh, the difference between a paper and um, one of my YouTube videos is that the YouTube videos are only based on that information. Usually when you write a paper, an academic mm-hmm. paper, you also advance your own thesis based on the sources and based mm-hmm. on your own research. But I don't do that because I feel that that would be less rigorous. Mm-hmm. Because, well, I wonder, like, it, yeah. do you
0: think that academia is... Is kind of is is changing in the digital age that we're moving towards a different kind of uh, academia where 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 what you do like you might be very ahead of your time. Uh, that might be uh, that might that might be what academia is in a few years because 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 you're able to communicate with a vast amount of people whereas if you wrote some little paper, uh, uh, nobody would read it. <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: Uh, yeah i I, wrote, I also wrote some little papers sorry to say <laughs> little like, papers but I mean, I, <laughs> no that's I, fine I,
0: I didn't mean to insult you by it, but i mean in the sense that it would be it would only little in terms of the audience is mm. what i was what i meant not in terms of the content yeah
1: yeah yeah sure don't worry i understand what uh-huh. you mean yeah. so um in terms of whether this is the future of academia that's interesting i just had a conversation with um a university lecturer from the UK because we are working on a research project. And she just said that she thinks that in 10 years I will be seen as a pioneer. So I think that there are colleagues that mm-hmm. think so, that they think that what I'm doing is um, pioneering work. I'm not sure if that is true because only time will tell, but I I hope that there will be more collaboration between universities and online Delivery of information and knowledge on social media. Yeah, Um, because at the moment I know that Marshall
0: McLuhan said that, like, sorry to interrupt that 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 like after television and video was invented, then education is outside of the classroom, right? It's it's Mm -hmm. uh, and this this is incredible, more so in the internet age, probably, right? Yeah, I yeah, get also- most of our information outside, like, you know, I, I've studied at university and I teach at university as well, but I, but I get much of my information, you know, uh, you know, while, while you're washing the dishes and, and listening to, uh, you know, Angela's symposium, symposium. things <laughs> like that. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, so. Uh, definitely one of the things that I really like about my project and similar projects like mine is that they also allow people to have access to information that otherwise would be inaccessible. Uh, because, you know, universities, especially in certain countries, are ridiculously expensive mm-hmm. and they shouldn't be. Personally, I think that uh, healthcare care and education should be public. Yeah. But anyway, I don't want to get too political about it but um, education can be inaccessible for many reasons, uh, not necessarily, and often not because the person doesn't want to learn. So I think that it is only fair to have avenues online that are free so that people mm-hmm. can learn these things uh, and, you know, with the same academic rigor that you would find in a university classroom. And of course we do have patrons that support our work, because we also have to pay the bills and everything. But that's why I, you know, I think that um, my patrons are, are so important for me and for my project, because not only do they allow my work to exist, but they also allow the many people that might not uh, afford, you know, supporting my work on patron to still have access, free access to my content. Uh, so it is also you know, thanks to the ones who can afford it and do support my project that many other people online have free access to scholarly mm. content. So, uh, so yeah. I'm very appreciative of that.
0: So it's an amazing democratization of, of, of mm. knowledge, uh, for sure.
1: Yeah, it's um, also interesting that we got back to the Renaissance where intellectual and artists have patrons.
0: <laughs> yeah, indeed. Right, right, right. Yeah, we're, Yeah, that is a whole conversation, I think. Um, but I'd like to get into a little bit of, of, about paganism uh, with you and, and what that is, and why you know wh- why that why it matters to study that at, at, at this particular time, and w- why there's such there's such a huge explosion of let's say neo paganism and and all of these movements and and um, that are are suddenly visible. Right. I mean, you said that you had to leave Italy to study paganism, but then you went back and you found, I guess you found uh, uh, pagan traditions within Italy. Is that- yeah,
1: well, yeah, it's not that I couldn't study that in Italy because paganism was not present in Italy, it's that the Italian University was not yeah. Yeah. <laughs> researching that on an academic level. Uh, So, yeah, paradoxically, I went to the UK to study Italian paganism, but now I study paganism more generally. I'm currently uh, um, co-editing an academic volume, a peer-reviewed volume on paganism, actually, so uh, with different contributors from uh, academics from all over the world, so that's quite uh, an exciting project. So why it's important to study paganism? Well, first of all, it's important to study paganism because, um, you know, any religion is worth studying. And in my opinion, anything is worth studying because it is a way of enriching our knowledge overall. But paganism in particular, I find it to be fascinating because it challenges many things that are present in our dominant culture and also in relation to the dominant religious system that uh, in many european countries tends to be uh, christian definitely in italy catholicism mm-hmm. is still uh, very much present in every aspect of the the culture so paganism has different many many interesting things one interesting thing is that in monotheistic religions you tend to have a transcendent view of the divine so the divine has created the word and then stays outside of it god you Mm. know Mm. just it there's this transcendent view of the divine where it has created the word but then it stays outside of it and so that also makes the word something that is uh sinful and something that Mm. uh, you know i it's ideal in a christian view to die and then afterwards you get your reward if you have followed uh you know the certain tenets of that theology uh but in paganism you have an immanent view of the divine which means that the divine is imbued in nature everything is divine so it's not the case that one god creator has created the world and then stays outside of it it's the case that there is a constant state of co-creation and that uh, the the divine is imbued in everything. That is an immanent view of the divine. That's the definition of immanence. And as a consequence, the the way of seeing the world and the way of seeing your presence in the world and the way of making meaning of the word changes drastically because then it means that you have a different type of attention towards, for instance, the environment, uh, a certain reverence towards the land. Um, a certain way of interacting also with uh, other than human beings Um, and that really cascades into and has ramifications in all aspects of the the person's life. Another interesting thing about paganism is that uh, it includes well uh, obviously includes the feminine aspect of the divine Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's also I should also say that paganism is an umbrella term that gathers under this umbrella many many different traditions and for instance I would argue that Hindu traditions are also part of paganism Mm -hmm. even though when we talk about paganism many people tend to Think about neo paganism, which, by the way, is a term that scholars prefer not to use now anymore. They prefer to use contemporary paganism. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Because just because uh, neo paganism tends to have a negative connotation and because, you know, pagans tend to not particularly like that term. Uh, and also because uh, there are some contemporary pagans that uh, follow new forms of paganism, such as Wicca, but there are also contemporary pagans that follow ancient forms of paganism, uh, such mm-hmm. as, for instance, Hindu tradition. Yeah, so uh, Wicca so, is
0: a new religion in a sense, right? Yeah, and it then is H- definitely... Hinduism is an ancient religion, and that's um, maybe the yeah. difference, uh, I mean, or maybe not actually, because I guess Hinduism was also named by the British Empire in some ways, or I don't, you, you may have noticed
1: you may have noticed that I didn't say Hinduism, I said Hindu traditions. <laughs>
0: okay, okay. Good, um, yes, good.
1: I am aware of that. And um, you also need to, we need to make a distinction between the conceptualization of something and the, existent, the, the existence of the, pheno- the religious phenomenon or uh-huh. religious phenomena oh, in oh, this great, case. Yeah. So Hindu traditions are very old the concept of Hinduism is a Western concept that is quite recent. And I tend not to use Hinduism. I tend to prefer Hindu traditions just because mm-hmm. it gives you a better sense that this is not one thing. It is actually multiple and very varied traditions. And also, um, I, I don't know, I just don't find that there are certain conceptualizations that are still Western and still scholarly uh, mm-hmm. Overlapping, you know, the, the the religious phenomena that maybe didn't even have a label beforehand. That I I would still use because I find them useful. But in the case of Hinduism, I don't find it to be a useful.
0: Well, what about Buddhism? Like this is because I, I I'm interested in Buddhism. I've, I've practiced tantric Buddhism, but I think tantric Buddhism is very different than other kinds of Buddhism. You know, it is, yeah. so so uh, and and also because it has a magical. Uh, element that was my
1: favorite type of buddhism because which which i (laughs) guess
0: zen doesn't particularly have a a magical (laughs) element and uh, even though it's a very sophisticated form of religion and and other you know other elements of buddhism so often when people are talking say buddhism um and then they describe what buddhism is um i want to say no it's not that because i'm a tantric buddhist buddhist practitioner so so i wonder even if even if we say buddhism we're also uh uh, even though Buddhism probably has, there's probably more things that you could group together and it's more useful concept than than perhaps uh, the Hindu traditions or, or Hinduism.
1: Yeah, I think that Buddhism is um, a more useful term because I think that even though there are uh, different types of Buddhism, I, mm-hmm. I can still see more of a core, you know, mm-hmm. in um, in the different types of Buddhism that justify the use of that terminology. Uh, so I am in favor of the use of Buddhism, but not the term of not the term Hinduism. Just because, I mean, Hindu traditions are so varied that it is very difficult to argue that there is a core to all of them. Yeah. I mean, the only core is the um, following the Veda as uh, revealed uh, scriptures as um, Agama, mm-hmm. but it's not. I don't know. It's not enough, really. Whereas in Buddhism, you have some. I can see a core, a yeah. theological conceptual core that is present across the different traditions. Yeah, so I
0: agree, but I think there was a time in Bengali when there were, or, you know, in early tantric tantricism where there was a whole stream of different influences going on, and so there wasn't such a strict difference between Hindu tantra and Buddhist tantra and Sufism and, 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 and all the other things yeah, that are... Sure. Right. Just like in, in Tibet, there's the bond tradition, which is very influential. And and so uh, so I guess maybe it's like our modern world. We tend to categorize we tend to tend to like convenient categorize categories for things and which simplify stuff for us. But it's not yeah, always
1: definitely true. But this, this is one thing that academics always debate about terms, mm. you know, the yeah. meaning of terms, whether to use certain terms or not. Uh, and there are some people that think, oh why are academics so pedantic? but I think that it's actually useful because when you argue in favor or against a certain concept, the the sheer fact of articulating your you know your thesis and your argument it is expanding the knowledge on the the subject in itself so the you know yeah. that very conversation is actually, expanding and extending our understanding That's of- very
0: important i mean you've taught me something by saying the hindu traditions and i think i'll i think from now on i will use that instead of saying hinduism because mm. because i because i think i agree with you there yeah that's mm. i think that's that's vitally important um yeah. so so okay so you so there's the there's the, the fact that of the mainstream catholicism and, and in italy and and uh and then and then the, which is a transcendental religion a, a, a two worlds religion um you know that based on transcendence and, and not imminence um um so what in in terms of of paganism uh t- today what is it you know where is it located and what is it like you said there's many different kinds of it and and, and how, how and and in terms of participation in it what is it, um, you know, how, how would one become a pagan? Or is that even a thing? Or what does that mean? or Is okay, my question so... clear?
1: <laughs> <laughs> kind, of.
0: kind
1: of. You will tell me whether I, I managed to answer it. So uh, becoming a pagan is a thing. I can confirm that. And how do people become pagans? I think just by... agreeing you know um, agreeing with the general belief system and uh, the practices Mm. vegans tend to be more focused on the experiential side than on the theoretical side although that is still important but i think that all magic practicing traditions tend to have generally more of a focus on the experience the experience Mm. comes first and the belief comes after Mm -hmm. and um so is how that difficult
0: it, for you as an academic then to because because you're paganism. you're studying something that is, you know, um, you know, something that is, you know, based on an experience. Right. So you're taking an outside point of view in, in that sense.
1: Yeah. It, yeah, it is. It is difficult uh, to study paganism. That's why uh, in academia, we needed to develop new methodologies to study religious phenomena that are very fluid and they are they don't have central dogma they don't have a central authority or an institution and one type of methodology that is often used by academics who studies paganism or similar practices is something called discourse analysis which mm-hmm. is a Foucauldian methodology that because you have the problem with paganism that if you ask 10 pagans what is paganism? You will get 11 answers if you're lucky, or 20 if you're <laughs> yeah, not. Yeah. So now, what you know as a scholar, what do you do? Do you just give up and don't give any definition of paganism? Of course not, because as scholars, we want to understand things and we want to provide knowledge, the most accurate knowledge that we can get at a given time. So this course analysis works by identifying patterns of meaning that are created within the community. Mm-hmm. So even though you may have that um, 10 people will give you 11 answers or 12 or whatever it is, you will still find that when you have enough data, you will identify patterns of meaning that mm-hmm. emerge mm-hmm. over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, and those will help you you know, as a scholar to, to, to understand and define what paganism is. And that obviously can change over time. So for instance, one aspect of the definition of paganism that was very prevalent, um, has been very prevalent, is the idea of it being an earth-based or earth-worshipping religion. And uh, nowadays that is uh, kind of, that is slightly changing because there are forms of paganism and, and there are people that identify as pagans who are not particularly You know, focused on the idea of earth worshiping or earth centered, being earth centered. And so that is kind of altering as well. So, So what are they focused
0: on um, then, if it's not the earth stuff?
1: um, So, I still think that pagans generally have a focus on nature and the earth because of that um, immanentistic view of the divine. Uh, There are some pagans that, Articulate that into an an actual and active interest in the environment, in nature, spend time with nature and worshiping nature and being environmentalists. That's also quite prevalent among pagans. There are other pagans that are the people that identify as pagans, such as, for instance, telemites. There are many telemites Mm. now that identify as pagans, and they are not particularly focused on worshiping nature. But they are still focused on the earth, you know, the physicality, the here and now, the living in the moment. And there is still a reverence towards nature. So you you tend to have that. Uh, I think that it is present across the board, across the different pagan traditions, the um, focus on nature as something that it is sacred.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: To what extent that translates into their actual practice, that may vary but you still have um, a focus on, on nature because, because of that um, core theological tenet where the everything is divine and nature mm-hmm. is divine. Other aspects of paganism is recognizing the divine both in the female and male aspect. And in Wicca, that tends to feel quite... Um, sort of a gender restrictive in terms of being very solid, you know, female and male as two Mm. principles. Uh, But, um, uh, you know, Wicca was developed in the 1950s. And now pagans um, see that female and male aspect more as two polarities on a spectrum. So that doesn't necessarily imply you know that there's either female or male and those are the only two principles it's more seen as a spectrum and there are polarities mm. just as you have in electricity for instance when you have to plug in something into a socket you have uh the um, projective side and the receiving side Mm -hmm. but uh, in terms of a theological cosmological understanding that is seen more as a spectrum
0: they're not absolute categories this is a man this is a woman we're all sort of a combination of those those yeah especially
1: yeah especially because pagans tend to be quite inclusive in that in that respect Mm -hmm, mm um especially in certain countries and especially certain types of paganism of course even in terms of the um, political side of things, you may find mm-hmm. that there are certain traditions that tend to lean more towards a left-wing type of ideology and others that tend to lean yeah. more towards a right-wing ideology. So you, you also have that difference. Uh, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I can definitely see many contemporary pagans also having that interest towards concepts such as, uh, you know, inclusivity in different, Mm -hmm. in different ways and different aspects.
0: Well, you mentioned Uh, Thelemites, you mentioned, which is like Alistair Crowley created the Thelemites. Is that, is that, am I, do I have that right? Um, it's sort of uh, the Crowleyist religion and, 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 uh, and I, I'm wondering, like, you know, there's, 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 sometimes he's, he's, described as the most evil man who ever existed and and a nazi and then other times it's like there's all kinds of stories about 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 what he did and who he was and and uh um and then i read a biography on, on him recently and I, I found him more sympathetic than i i thought i would but i wonder if you could I and mean, you you talked a lot about that on your channel um how would how, how is how is how was what's what's up with how do people see crowley and the whole crowley movement today and how what is that all about
1: um, so, yeah, Crowley is a very interesting character, Yeah, no <laughs> very kidding, controversial man. in many ways, but I think that as a religious studies scholar, I'm particularly interested in how influential he has been. So if you look mm. at the history of Western historicism and even of paganism and of magic practices and witchcraft, it's impossible not to acknowledge the, ex- you know, the... Extent of the influence of you know from that comes from Crowley and his works and uh Telema, which is the religion he founded, uh, and it is usually anglicized as Telema. I said, telema, yeah. Yeah. um, yeah, that's fine. I'm I'm gonna use Telema as well so that we can better understand each other, but I also want to tell people that in ancient Greek it is Telema, oh, uh,
0: you.
1: and that means we will. But, um, so, um I think that he, Lester Crowley has been influential in many, many, many different ways. One, thing, one way in which he's been very influential is the idea of democratizing magic if you read in Magic in Theory and Practice, he says that magic is for everybody, for yeah, um, you yeah. know the the
0: factory worker, yeah, and, the uh,
1: factory worker and the housewife for everybody. It's funny because he says that, and then you you flip. He's the most pages. elitist guy in the
0: world. Yeah, the and you I mean, flip his books up, you... are so impossible. Yeah. They're so expensive and, and esoteric, and yeah,
1: yeah, Sorry to... that's what I was thinking about as well. So in a way, he thinks that magic is. He democratized magic because he talked about magic openly and published about it and thought that uh, every man and every woman is a star. Yeah. Um, But there are many aspects of his um, magic tradition that have influenced contemporary paganism, including Wicca. I also have a video about whether Wicca comes from Crowley because that is something that has been debated among scholars. And there are some who believe that the there was um, a, a great deal of influence of Crowley on, on Wicca and the birth of Wicca, and others that think that the influence was minimal. But the agreement mm-hmm. tends to be that there was some influence that Crowley played um, mm-hmm. on the birth of Wicca. And because we know that uh, Gerald Gardner knew Alastair Crowley and was initiated into his order by Crowley. And mm-hmm. um, uh, they also talked about um, creating a witch religion together uh, but then Crowley didn't want to do that because the um, Gardnerian view of a religion also included the um, female aspect of the divine which is not something that Crowley rejected but there is this uh, allegedly Crowley said that he didn't want to be bossed around by a dumb woman um, <laughs> Mm -hmm. which is you know Crowley is full of contradictions because you do have you also have the the female aspect of the divine which is quite present in his Mm -hmm. system Mm -hmm. Uh, but he has many contradictions like that throughout his life and throughout his writings even the way he conceives deities so he has that psychologizing of deities and seeing them as kind of archetypes even though he's inconsistent with that as well in his writings so Sometimes he has that kind of psychologizing attitude and sometimes he doesn't. But uh, that is also something that you can see the influence of in contemporary magic practices. Uh, There is strong influence of that. And generally speaking, many of the, even the the golden dawn uh, type or inspired rituals Mm. that Crowley talks about have been popularized thanks to Crowley. And um, so, there there is definitely a a very you know a clear influence of Crowley you know regardless of whether one likes him or not because obviously there are many reasons not to like Crowley as a person Uh, Mm -hmm. but I think it was definitely um, an occult genius (laughs) and um, that you can tell that by the the influence that he played on the western historic milieu which is uh, still great also the inclusion of yoga um, and other Indian practices. uh, Yeah, he brought in
0: the Eastern uh, religion more than people think uh, probably as well.
1: He did that. He wasn't the first one to do that. Uh, The first ones to do that were Theosophy, uh, especially Helena Petrovna Blavatsky, although they did them differently. Uh, Crowley focused more on the aspects of Indian philosophy specifically that would foster magic practice. Mm-hmm. So he was not in in um, theosophy there was more of an interest in Buddhism for instance not just Buddhism also Hindu traditions but um there was probably more of a Buddhist angle to mm-hmm. the to the interpretation of in Indian, tra- Indian traditions and Eastern traditions that they included. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Crowley you have more of a targeted interest in uh certain practices that would aid magic practice because there was something that really interests him but the main focus in uh Thelima is uh finding your one true will and following your one true will because following your one, uh, what
0: your, your what your your I mean, true the, will your true will the will yes. right yes the will yeah
1: your true will which is your true will is the the divine will so once yeah. you uh, find and uh, align with your uh true will you are also aligning with the divine will um and so that is one if not the core goal in in. and that's universe.
0: perhaps a little different than the earth worship type yeah. of style of, of religion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah mm-hmm. definitely mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what about what about wicca what about the state of wicca you know in in the modern world and people practicing wicca what is that and what does that have to do with traditional witchcraft and
1: what is traditional witchcraft
0: (laughs) yeah what is exactly all these things that you know that which which are floating in the air but we don't really know what they mean necessarily
1: yeah um wicca was um i i have uh, again a video on my youtube channel on the birth of wicca that i called is wicca the oldest religion or something like that and that is because there there was a claim especially in the beginning (laughs) there are still some wiccans that that claim that but um especially but most wiccans tend to be aware you know of the historical status of things and um Wicca was you know came to the public in the 1950s yeah. and uh Gerald Garner was the founder of Wicca. And then you have Doreen Valiente who, who could very well be considered the mother of Wicca. So if um, Gerald Garner is the father of Wicca then Doreen Valiente is the mother of Wicca because we owe to her all the ritualistic side. Um But uh, Wicca was very interesting and also extremely influential because I think one of the things that made Wicca so appealing is that it um, changed the representation of witchcraft in the public sphere because of its idea and its ethical status. You know that you find in the read, uh, in the weekend read, the idea that um, a arm non um, do what thou wilt. So it kind of changed the the tenant that you find in Talima. Do what thou wilt should be the whole of the law. Yeah. In Wicca, you have, as long as it harms none, you can do what you will. Mm -hmm. So you have that. And also you have the ethical tenant of um, everything that you do, good or bad, comes back at you threefold. Mm -hmm. Uh, So these ethical stances qualified Wicca as a form of beneficial and positive only type of witchcraft. Hmm. And even though that has been popular up until recently, now you have more and more magic practitioners that talk about hex positivity and um, you know, the fact that you cannot classify good and evil in such stark terms. Uh, which is also an interesting ethical debate. But I think that we owe Wicca a lot in terms of the the possibility of openly talk about witchcraft online now, now. because up until Wicca, there was just a negative view of, of witchcraft. And Wicca was very vocal and very... And, you know, quite popular, you know, they had there were Wiccan priests priests and priests that were going online on documentaries and being interviewed on television and explaining how witchcraft was not bad, but it was actually connecting with the earth, that uh, it was uh, positive and beneficial, that they wouldn't do anything to harm others. So that really played a massive role into shifting the narrative, the public discourse about magic and witchcraft. And that allowed, you know, it broke the ice and allowed people to start talking about witchcraft again because it wasn't something that was scary and negative or for deluded people anymore. It was something that uh, people who were... Um, you know, worshiping nature and adoring nature were doing. And it was a way of connecting to the world, a way of connecting to nature and helping others and uh, learning about the properties of herbs so that they could help help others and could um, allow other people to have positive changes in their life. So it was portrayed as something that was positive and that was beneficial to the community and to the self. And that was, I think, extremely important in when we try and trace the history of witchcraft up mm-hmm, until the mm-hmm. contemporary world, we can yeah. see how Wicca was extremely helpful in breaking that stereotype of witchcraft being solely negative.
0: Or being and satanic, it, right, isn't? Or um, being
1: satanic? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah because they, very clearly disassociated themselves with uh, satanism now in more recent years you find that there are more there's more discourse around the dark sides of magic the fact that you know the the fact that the the good and evil are not these dark terms and then you also have witches that um, are part of satanism but I think that the reason why we are able now, one of the reasons I don't want to, I I don't like when, you know, you just pinpoint um, the the cause of something to one thing only because that's never the case. But I think one major influence in the fact that we are now able to publicly talk about witchcraft and have these more nuanced conversations about Mm -hmm. magic and witchcraft is because Wicca changed the game wicca allowed us to think of witchcraft in in a completely different way in a positive way and that opened the conversation that beforehand it was just you know no witchcraft is just like i don't know talking about cannibalism cannibalism or something that is totally unacceptable you know something that you you wouldn't even have a conversation about it's just negative and or for deluded people so it's either something that doesn't exist or something that is negative and that's it
0: also it's uh, you know wiccan is is men and women right it's not just because i we i always in the stereotype vision of which which is uh, it's like it's like women in the forest you know uh uh, that that kind of thing there's a stereotype about it just being women but it's women and men or
1: yeah that's the patriarchy from the middle ages and the witch trials times Uh
0: yeah of course yeah just just a cliche (laughs) thing but um but but i was also wondering about the the influence let's say of 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 paganism and the fact that um a lot of people are sort of talking like the patriarchy is over and it's the new age of, of women and this sort of thing and that but you know, women's spirituality, earth-based spirituality, is it's, it's always feminized in, in some kind of a way. And what do you think about that? What do you
1: um, I think that both men and women uh, can be witches and the term which has been reclaimed by contemporary uh, male pagans uh, also to, to refer to, to themselves. Um, mm-hmm. So both, you know, men, female, non-binary people, everybody practices everybody. witchcraft and can practice witchcraft. Um, I, When it comes to the association between Wicca and feminism, I think that started in the 1970s in the US especially, and then it also uh, developed even in other countries, that kind of association. Uh, Because because Wicca and paganism, especially in the US in the beginning, when it started to spread in the US, it became particularly popular among uh, gay and female and women liberation movements. Uh, Mm. as also a way of combating certain types of uh, hegemony, religious hegemony, but also other types of social hegemony. And uh, then it also spread to other countries with that connotation as well. It didn't start like that in Britain. But then you also have that that connotation spreads to other countries and Europe as well. Uh, in Italy, for instance, uh, it's quite fascinating because we are much closer to Britain than we are to the US. But the type mm. of Wicca that uh, arrived to Italy um, in the early 2000s, uh, because we are a bit later in the game with mm. that. Um, well, I think you also have presence of pigs from the 1990s. But uh, it started to really be present uh, in the 2000s. Uh, so you have that Pagan Pride Italy was founded, uh, the first Pagan Pride Day was in 2001, and the the first pagan associations, public associations were uh, born in the 2000s. But Anyway, even in Italy, you have that connotation. So I think that the reason why uh, paganism became particularly popular also among feminists, it is because it includes the feminine side of the divine. Yeah, and it also, and for some people, it is seen as, you know, finally we are talking about the goddess. So God is not just a man. You know, and that is seen as a reflection of the patriarchy. So, if the divine, if what created us all is a man, you know, what does it mean for women? What does it mean for non binary people? What does it mean for gay people? Are we, you know, not in the image of God? Are we a lesser image of God? So, and obviously, in christianity and other monotheistic religions you also have a certain portrayal of women that is not particularly um you know positive and in you know you don't really have the same view of men and female i'm not saying that all christians think like that because that's not like that that is not the case luckily but if you read the bible (laughs) you know you will find many things that will uh explain what i what i'm saying in terms of not seeing um equality between men and women well i was, I was talking think- to
0: zevi slavin who i think we, we who you also know right uh yeah. and he was talking about how the the shekinah or the holy spirit is feminine finally in 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 the, in the jewish in the deeper jewish you know Kabbalah traditions um there's there's a there, but it, but this is like always the hidden aspect in, in the monotheism mm-hmm. or it's always seems to be hidden or or yeah, you hit, you have that hidden.
1: also in other in other forms of in certain forms of Christianity you do have certain female aspects that mm. are present, but in the Orthodox religion you tend to have more of a male focus, and then the the female is um, the mother, and that's yeah. the role that the female has. The Madonna
0: or it. the whore, one or the other, yeah. and not all these La- of these other maybe. But potentials or possibilities of, of female archetypes
1: yeah and also not the, the madonna and who are at the same time why not have both i mean uh-huh. <laughs> but anyway yeah. um so i think that paganism was seen um for good reasons as a response to that uh you finally have the female divine the divine principle who's also feminine you have goddesses you yeah. also have a portrayal of the feminine aspect and also of um even in terms of um, the um, lgbt uh, plus q plus community you also have representation in paganism because you have many pagan gods and goddesses that are oh, really? androgynous uh you have um also representations of um non heteronormative sexuality non heteronormative relationships so it it is it's not surprising that it was it became particularly popular among those um, those movements and in italy it was the same uh, in uh, pagan groups you you could see many different people that are from the lgbtq plus community especially mm. in contemporary paganism maybe it's not quite as prevalent in ceremonial magic type of circles or uh, hermetic type of circles Mm -hmm. but um, when it comes to contemporary paganism um, somewhat associated or influenced by wicca that tends to be the case so you do have a prevalence of that and i think that that is because the the feminine aspect is is included again Mm -hmm. and yeah it is true that with kapala you have the the same thing and that is one of the um, the things about kapala that also change the game uh even um in a religious and uh esoteric sense
0: hmm. so what about the let's say darker aspects of paganism you know that you know you know is this like just an invention of the patriarchy uh, when does paganism go dark or when it, you know what do you mean it... go dark well okay uh, good question um i <laughs> i guess i guess human sacrifice and you know, if, if if you look at if you look at uh René Girard's theory of, of, of uh of uh, of uh, of culture, which is a very Christian centered theory that is this I know I'm not saying that anybody I knew I, I knew he was, I knew uh, it was worldly, a Christian
1: that said yeah, that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, what? So, I'm no, I'm just, I'm just like, I'm. That's not my point of view. I'm just that. That's a point of view that's kind of out there in the culture, is that people kind of think that the the paganism is 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 full of, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, let's say sacrifice and and uh, bizarre rituals and darkness. And then there's also the the right wing aspect of it. Sometimes it becomes neo, it becomes very right wing. Or, um, I just want, I wanted to get your view on on that.
1: Yeah, so in terms of sacrifices, um, well, paganism, as I said, is an umbrella term. So there are many, many traditions that can fall under that umbrella. Um contemporary pagans don't do human sacrifices because that's against the law and pagans are also part of the you know of the no safety. i was not suggesting
0: but, that i I, but, I, was, I was talking about ancient history and we often
1: yeah, we often associate
0: paganism history. with ancient history and you know and uh and, and so so even though that you're talking about contemporary paganism which may be an entirely different thing
1: yeah in ancient history um uh, There, depending on the tradition you can have accounts of that of that happening uh some are contested for instance um when it comes to uh droidry uh, um caesar used to say that they would perform human sacrifices and then you have you know later on in uh 20th century also the idea of the wicker man you there's also the um, the movie i think there are two movies on the wicker man um but um that's contested um as Mm. a as a concept so we don't know whether that was true or not but there are uh many religions around the world from antiquity that could classify as pagan (laughs) even in uh south america and um mesoamerica um that have you know that kind of i'm not an expert of those traditions so Mm. i cannot really attest whether that was happening or not um but it is it is possible i cannot exclude that but when it comes to contemporary paganism which is what i research it's obviously not something that you know i've never come across a pagan that uh, does human Mm -hmm. sacrifice and when it comes to animal sacrifice That might be present in certain traditions, uh, especially in countries where that would happen anyway. I mean, like uh, Cuba
0: or something, you know, I I know that, you know, I know somebody who
1: would
0: would sacrifice a chicken or something. Yeah, but that that tends Mm. to
1: be also part of different types of cultures. Yeah. Like, unless you're a vegetarian, and I also know many pagans who are vegetarians, by the way, (laughs) but unless you're a vegetarian, you will eat meat. So if you are uh, part of, if you are part of a culture and you are in a country where you not only eat the meat that you buy at the supermarket but you also um mm. kill the animal you mm-hmm. may also want to make that sacred you Absolutely. may want that to make mm. that part of um of a ritualistic act so i wouldn't i, I don't you know when we try to understand these kind of things we also need to be um culture sensitive and understand you know Mm. what kind of practice we are talking about where it is done and what's the context because it would be very different to do something like that in the UK or in Italy as opposed to in Cuba or um, Mm. in an African country where the culture is very different and we even uh food consumption works and uh gathering food works is completely mm. maybe completely different so well, what
0: about the the sort of the the dionysian aspect or the just the, the or the the dark imagery that is often that is used and and uh y- you know is this like sort of like what carl jung would say about you know expressing the shadow expressing the you know the the hidden sides of of you know our nature are finding release for that or um you know and because then and then there's paganism and then there's also satanism and, <laughs> and what is that and and um because we tend to conflate all of these things uh coming from the outside
1: um i'm not sure what's your question satanism and paganism are two different things yeah okay um, mm-hmm. there are uh certain types of satanism that wanted to be seen as paganism this is especially the case in the Italian context, Uh, there is uh, one form of Satanism that um, wanted to claim that it was Paganism, but the entire Pagan community rejected it.
0: Right, well, I was thinking like Swedish death metal and stuff like that, (sighs) but you know.
1: No, I I think that Satanism and Paganism are two different phenomena. Uh, I wouldn't classify them as the the same. And even um, in academic circles, you know you have pagan studies and then Mm -hmm. satanism tends to be part of a different category
0: Mm -hmm. okay great well i'm glad you you clear that clear that clear that up i mean i i so so um yeah i don't know i guess i was just trying to i was just trying to to uh to, to to see if 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 but I guess my question is too general. It's like how paganism would, would go wrong or how it would get disturbed. Get how could or... paganism
1: go wrong? But
0: but yeah, the but same
1: way people I, can go wrong. The same
0: yeah, because <laughs> well, there's so no. many different kinds of paganisms that
1: yeah, there are many types of paganism. So um, to have a better analysis um of that, we need to clarify certain things. But even in for instance, heathenry is a form of paganism, which is more of a reconstructivist type of paganism. There are different types of paganism. There are paganism I didn't hear
0: that uh, word. What, what was it? Did you say?
1: Re- reconstructivist?
0: No, you said you said Hidenry? something is a form of paganism, but I didn't Hidenry. hear Hidenry. Yeah. L- it. Hiddenry.
1: Yeah. Comes from heathen, you know, the English word, heathen.
0: Like the hedonistic, being hedonistic? No, no, hedoner? no, no, uh, no, it's... How do you spell uh, it? Uh,
1: H-E-A-T-H-E... Uh, like
0: a N-R- heathen, like, heathen y- like being a heathen. Yeah, like okay, being a heathen. It. Excuse me. Okay.
1: And uh, heathenry is a reconstructivist pagan movement because you have different types of pagan movements. Some mm-hmm. that are um, new religious movements like Wicca that are quite recent and they are very eclectic. And then you have reconstructivist types of pagan movements where they try to reconstruct in a contemporary context, of course, ancient pagan religions. Mm -hmm. With Eden Reed, that would focus more on Germanic and um, North European types of traditions. But then you also have, for instance, Roman reconstructivist movements that try to reconstruct Roman tradition or um, Hellenistic paganism who tries to reconstruct the uh, Greek, the ancient Greek tradition, and with Henry, you tend to have, and also with other reconstructivist movements, like even there, there was talk of that, even with the Roman reconstructivist movements, they um, tend to be associated with right-wing type of politics. Mm. Uh, that is not always the case. In fact, there are some events that would um, define those people as folkish, and that is a derogatory way of classifying them. You, you find the presence of right-wing pagans in, you know, you can find it everywhere. I would say that they are not very prevalent in contemporary paganism, contemporary eclectic paganism. There tends to be a higher presence in reconstructivist movements, especially certain types and maybe ceremonial magic Mm -hmm. But even so i wouldn't i wouldn't see that as something that you know i wouldn't say hiddenry is right-wing because that is not true you may have some people within hiddenry that are more right-wing uh but uh that is something that depending on what i'm not also i don't also want to portray right-wing more generally as something that is bad um well, you know, far right, I would consider to be so. Uh, but I also try, I'm trying to be uh, understanding, you know, of different, mm-hmm, sure, yeah. of different political views. But I think that when it becomes uh, something that has racist or um, other, you know, white supremacist types of connotations, that's problematic. And even the communities acknowledge that as problematic. Uh, mm-hmm. So you can find those people, you know, you, you can find people that have their own problematic views in any religion, I think.
0: Sure. Um, maybe maybe a, a last kind of area investigation is, is like, what would your definition of, of magic be? Let's say magic practices, and then magic with a K, uh, and then also... Um, yeah, in the contemporary in the contemporary world what is what does it mean because 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 I think people have this idea that magic is, is some sort of uh you know uh, superstition sh- activity and we, we become we be, the more enlightened we get we, we, we move beyond magic but but then again th- this there's also this and also chaos magic that was the other thing I wanted to, to ask you about uh
1: so magic uh, doesn't have a um, consensus in terms of the definition among academics. It is a term mm-hmm. whose definition is still debated. I like um, um, the, the definition that uh, Brent Christian Otto, a scholar of religion, gives, which is that magic is a floating signifier. Meaning that uh, uh, its meaning changes depending on the the practitioner and the communities that use the term that employ the term. Generally speaking, we can say that magic is a way of altering your reality in ways that are often religious or spiritual, and that are generally not otherwise understood by. Other means of gathering knowledge that we have at our disposal. So it is altering the world in unknown ways, which are often also part of a religious and a spiritual system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I wouldn't say that that is, um, you know, a... unknown
0: in the sense that we can empirically describe, say that this is because of this. We can't make a causal, like, empirical description. Yeah. Of what goes we, we
1: can make a causal, uh, causal, cor- yeah. in In academia and in science you always hear saying that correlation is not causation which is extremely important in natural science to make that distinction and it's very important in natural science to find the causation and not just correlation Mm -hmm. in magic it's a bit different it's a bit different because you may have a causal correlations that are meaningful and that are believed to be effective that's what
0: so, Carl Jung called synchronicity, right? Yes, right. right. that's an
1: causal, mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Um, and you have the same with divination and with other uh, practices that may fall under the category of magic. So um, that is how I would describe magic. And in terms of chaos magic, chaos magic was also heavily influenced by Crowley. <laughs> yes.
0: um,
1: so like many other magic traditions. And I think that it brings certain tenants that you find in Crowley to it moves them further in a certain direction and that is not just the direction of individualism but also focusing on what works. Uh, Crowley also said let success be by proof but with Chaos Magic there's even more of a focus on what works and the techniques so they tend to not really care about the metaphysics and the theology Uh, what matters is to find a method in magic that works so they can make up deities Uh, so for instance if i want to cast a spell to defend myself from um uh, I don't know, a colleague that is sucking the life out of me, I could uh, see that symbolically as a vampire and I could um, make up Buffy the Vampire Slayer as my deity in that ritual and invoke her to help me in my uh, mm-hmm. in my magic practice. Something that you find often as a technique, as a magical technique in Chaos Magic is the use of sigils. And charging yeah. the C.G.O.s in various ways, including sexual ways, uh, so that you can um, uh, you you can affect changes in your reality. And that still has a strong psychologizing element because the idea is that you write what you want to achieve in positive terms, then you eliminate all the um, the, the letters that repeat, and then you articulate what is left the core of your sentence into a symbol and that you charge that symbol in a ritualistic way and then the idea is that your subconscious even though your conscious mind may forget what the whole thing was about your subconscious will still perceive that will still perceive that and will allow you to move in that direction so There is for some people more of a psychological component to that, that you are feeding your subconscious with a direction continuously. And for some, there is more of a magical element or also a magical element, meaning that you are charging a symbol that is bringing about change in your life in unknown ways, causally speaking, but it is still affecting how things are going to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's there are many things that I could say about chaos magic, but I have some videos on my YouTube channel if people want to expand more on that. Mm-hmm.
0: Great, great. Um, hmm. Well, so what are you? What are at the moment? Let's say what are what are your major areas of an investigation? What what are you passionate about? What, what what are you really passionate about exploring at the moment? Uh,
1: Mm -hmm. is this the last question perhaps
0: we could is there something i mean we could we could keep going but but that was i was thinking that i was thinking that perhaps we could start begin to wrap up yeah yeah, i have time yeah
1: yeah uh, because i will have to go shortly that's okay okay Um, sure Mm -hmm. okay so um ask me again the question so you can cut out this part
0: sure uh I, i was gonna say i wanted to know what your um Okay, let me let me. Okay, I'll cut this out and say. So, what are your what are you what are you really passionate about, and what are your areas of investigation at the moment? Uh, uh, what are you what are you working on right now, and and what would you like to draw people attention to in, in terms of your work?
1: So, uh, I'm focusing a lot of my energy on my uh, project of online scholarship. So, I'm really passionate about my Angela Symposium project on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, I'm almost everywhere. And I consider YouTube my main platform, to be honest. Um, I'm working on creating a website as well. Um, And I definitely want to write books on uh, these topics. And in terms of my academic work, I'm at the moment working on uh, co editing a volume, a peer reviewed academic volume on paganism, which is going to publish with Equinox. And it, it will be called um, Paganism in Five Minutes, because the idea is that there are questions and answers. So you can get an answer, you can read the answer within five minutes. That, that's why Paganism in five minutes. Um, and where we included all the questions that people may want to ask about paganism to better understand it and we have contributors from all over the world, professors and lecturers from all over the world. I'm also working on publishing my PhD which I turned into a book and it's going to be on Italian shamanism and witchcraft. And I want to uh, also focus my research on um, magic in a digital age and uh, I, I have a project that I'm working on Uh, Which is, you know, we will see how it will develop, but I'm planning on researching how uh, the use of internet, social media and AI is um, intersecting with witchcraft and magic practices and how it's altering it and where, you know, this is going in terms of how magic is going to be practiced
0: amazing uh huh okay well i i would recommend to, to everybody uh angela's incredibly beautiful youtube channel and it was just just a, a, a visual treat as well as uh full of really well researched and, and intelligent and, and and provocative you know ideas and 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 uh, uh on many many different subjects in, in these areas so so thank thanks so much uh for coming and, and talking to us and uh <laughs> for, for, for being there and, and providing us this, this resource. And-
1: Thank you so much, Andrew. And I, I really hope that, um, I really wish your channel the, the best and your project the best. And I hope that people will, uh, also, you know, check out my, my project and my Angela symposium.